hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson with another episode of Women Worth Knowing. Um, Jasmine and I have been going through um, medical doctors and nurses and just kind of highlighting all these people who have the vocation of either doctors or nurses and have used this uh, to glorify the Lord. And the Lord is glorified by their gifts and by their um, talents. And we started with Elizabeth Blackwell, who was the first doctor in the United States, first female doctor in the United States and in Britain. And she has inspired so many lives. And she was really good friends with Florence Nightingale, Mm -hmm. who brought really nursing up to the standard that it is today. Um, Used to be that nurses were drunkards and people (laughs) who were after your money and required no education at all. And it was Florence Nightingale who started educating nurses, and then Elizabeth Blackwell also started a nursing program at her infirmary. In fact, um, interestingly enough, I was just at her infirmary in New York City. Were you? And I got my picture taken right by the plaque for Elizabeth Blackwell, and I was so excited. Mm -hmm. But on the fourth floor of that building was where the nurses were housed, Mm -hmm. and on the first floor, they had classes where they were trained. So it was so exciting. But I'm in studio with my guest, and you've heard her just talk a little tiny bit, and it's Kelly Arroyo. And this is part two. In part one, we talked a little bit about her history, how she was called into nursing, and her background, which was a little surprising because it's not what you expect. Um, And so if you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to it. You'll be inspired. You'll be so blessed. But now we're going to start part two. Too. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, you finished your nursing training when you were 32. You started working in the trauma center, which is all yes. super excited. So then you're, you're walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. You've got this call on your life, and COVID happened. Let's just right. go all the way to COVID. Okay. Or had you done outreaches before that? Yes. Okay. okay. So after I've been working for several years at St. Mary Medical Center, I was going to go back and get my master's and get my nurse practitioner. Okay. Oh, and wow. I was all ready to do that. I mm-hmm. had everything, and um, the Lord called me to Bible college instead. Wow. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go where you tell me to go. So I went to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa Bible College. Mm -hmm. And in part one, remember when I told you I had that conversation with the Lord about what do you want to be when you grow up? Right, right. I want to be a saint. When you were eight years old, right? When I was eight years old. Well, I was in uh, John Wang's Romans class, and um, he was going through Romans, and there was a part where he says the letter to the saints. And the Lord brought it back and said, see, Kelly, I made you a saint. And I'm like... Oh my gosh, I I said that out loud, and John is like, "Is there something you want to share?" <laughs> and I told him the whole story. But the Lord is so faithful because I truly believe He had that conversation with me at eight, so He can show me that His hand is on my life, you know, now, mm-hmm. all these years later. So I went to Bible college, and I got a bachelor's in Bible college. I ended up getting a bachelor's in nursing and a bachelor's in Bible college. And which is kind of cool because I had no education before I started. Mm -hmm. And then in the Bible college, there was a class called Community Discipleship where different pastors came and talked. And I remember Rob Douglas was talking about Into the Earth Ministries. And I was so convicted. I thought, 
you're not calling me to go to Sudan, are you? Because I can't go to Sudan. I mean, I, I don't even have a passport. I mm-hmm. can't go to Sudan. I was freaked out. And the Lord just calmed my heart and went, well, I didn't call you to go there. But if I did, I would equip you. So three weeks later, Brent Kaser comes in. And he's talking about promised child going to Nepal. And they need a nurse. And my hand was up before I even knew it was up. And he's like, oh, are you a nurse? And I kind of look behind me and I realize, oh, my hand is up. And i that's how I got my first passport, my first mission trip as a medical missionary. I went to Nepal with Promise Child. And after that, I brought my passport home, put it on the table and said, Lord, I say yes, you put the stamps on it. And he's taken me all over the world ever since. So tell me a little bit about what you did in Nepal, what that was like. Okay, so in Nepal... We went out to a village called Gadina, and they set up a three-day clinic, and I was helping do the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So they had triage. They had two doctors, a nurse practitioner. They had the pharmacy, and then we had tables for um, outreach. And so we just kind of set up as a medical clinic, food distribution. You know, we gave them, like, vitamins and stuff for worms and stuff like that at the uh, pharmacy, and then we did... Outreach, and that's where I learned to share the gospel in mm. a medical missionary setting. And mm-hmm. yeah, there were some really good people that were showing me how to do that. You know, I think it's amazing how, you know, where others rush out, Christians rush mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. with the medical care yeah. and with the love mm-hmm. and the help that people need. All right, so that was your first. What was your second? My second mission, not medical mission, but my second mission, I believe, was Creation Fest. Right. And so I've been to Creation Fest now four years. And but you were the nurse on the trip. Right? I was the nurse on the trip, yes. So I was the nurse on the trip, and I went to Creation Fest 2016, 17. Well, okay, so a, a year later after I went to Nepal, the exact same day, a year later, I had heart surgery. Mm, so that's, that's what I right. did in 2015. Then um, 2016, 17, 18, 19, I went to Creation Fest. In 2019, I went and worked on Mercy Ships. That's in Africa. And so Mm -hmm. I worked um, in Guinea, and I was a recovery room nurse there. And the Mercy Ship is really an awesome Christian organization, and they go and park on a third-world country shore at the harbor, and they take an assessment team out to see who needs surgeries. And they have all kinds of different things because of the lack of vitamins, the lack of iron, just sometimes burns, uh, things of that nature. They just do free surgery. So they have orthoplastics, doctors that come in and do the goiters because without iodine, you have massive goiters, plastics because there's a, a facial anomalies from lack of vitamins and things like that. So I got to be a recovery room nurse on that. And as soon as I got back... Samaritan's Purse called me, and um, I had applied two years earlier when they had a big field hospital in Iraq. And I get their newsletter because I was a rapid response team chaplain for them, and I did that volunteer. And it was a big field hospital in Iraq, and they were out there doing, um, in Mosul, Iraq, doing surgery for ISIS, for the people being shot by ISIS, for whoever came across their um, field hospital yeah. they did surgery on. And so I looked at it and I went, can I do that? Are you calling me to do that, Lord? So I put it on my bulletin board and I prayed on it. Two months later, I applied and it's called a DART, Disaster Assistant Response Team. It's international. And I applied to it. And, and this God is so good. Part of the, re- the prerequisite is you have to have Bible college credits. And so I'm like, I've got that. That's, That's excellent. Awesome. Yes. Now I know the, why the Lord did that. And mm-hmm. so um, anyway, so I applied, but I didn't hear from him. And it was two years later in 2019, 
after my youngest son was graduated from college, I didn't need to work full time anymore. And um, all my obligation as a parent of raising them was done. And uh, they called right when I got back from Mercy Ships and said, the weirdest thing happened. Your application's been stuck in an inbox and it just dropped down into my my regular email, and I noticed that the date was 2017. Did you mean to mark 2017? Was that 2017? I started laughing. I said, that's God's timing. Mm-hmm. And they hired me, and I've been working medical missions for them ever since. All right. Was your first medical mission to Italy, or was it? Uh, no. 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 Um, my first medical mission with Samaritan's Purse was to Freeport, Bahamas, after Hurricane Dorian. Okay. And they had that's the right. Rand Memorial Hospital was the hospital on Freeport, and it was flooded. Mm. The only thing that was even salvageable was their CT. Mm. So uh, Samaritan's Purse went out and set up CT a... CT is CAT scan. CAT scan. Yes, yeah. sorry about that. They set up a full-blown hospital. Mm. OR, ICU, um, step-down unit, uh, ER, triage, male ward, female wards, and the tents. We slept on site in the tents, showered with a hose. It was hotter than hot out there, but completely out of my comfort zone, but... I was just, I knew that the Lord had just prepared me for such a time as this. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, and then what was the next one? Uh, the next one was Cremona, Italy, which was a year ago this time. Mm-hmm. And we started kind of getting hints that there was um, COVID. Mm-hmm. And there, the big ship was off of San, um, San Francisco Harbor, that they were quarantining out right. there and things of that nature. and. Some uh, different areas were being quarantined, and then I got an email from Samaritan's Purse saying we're sending an assessment team to Italy, and if we're going to set up a field hospital, then um, fill out your availability. I already knew I was going. I I mean, the Lord had put it on my heart that I was going, and um, they sent the next day the survey out for our availability, and I filled it out, and they called me the next day, and I left the next day after that. You know what's crazy about that is, again, like I said, where many would rush out, you rushed in. Mm -hmm. You know, and Samaritan's Purse yeah. actually rushed into that situation, which um, then COVID being so contagious mm-hmm. and we not, didn't know what it even was. Right, not mm-hmm. much was known about mm-hmm. that, and you went in. Tell me a little bit about that experience. So I came in commercially the day after the DC eight, which is the Samaritan's Purse that has all the cargo, uh, went in, and the Italian Air Force, God bless them, built that whole site in one day. Mm. So we had a full blown hospital built in their uh, Cremona parking lot in one day. So then we came in, and then the next day we started taking patients. So I worked in the ICU, which was a 12-bed, you know, tent, like an army tent. And I went with Dr. Bob Spencer who up to their OR and recovery room where they were housing people because their ICU was packed. Now, when we got to Cremona Hospital, they were over surge capacity. They lost 61 of their doctors and nurses to COVID. They died. They were... Completely overwhelmed. The ER people were laying on the ground. The ER waiting room people had oxygen and what's called CPAP and BiPAP on. The ICU, they had 58 people intubated. Each OR theater had three patients in it apiece. Mm. The recovery room had patients lined up. So when we walked up there and we were in full protective gear, I remember Bob grabbed my arm and he said, the wages of sin is death. Mm. And I, my heart quickened. Mm. And then the Lord gave me Psalm 91. Mm-hmm. And it just started flooding, flooding in my in my mind. And I knew I was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't going to get it. Mm-hmm. I knew if I followed the policy and procedures of Samaritan's Purse, which Samaritan's Purse are experts in infectious disease. They're on the front line of Ebola, cholera, COVID, and every other infectious disease that you can imagine. And they do it very well. 
And so they trained us and they put us what's called through a donning and doffing process of how you put on the protective gear and how you take it off. And um, yeah, and we went through that and I ended up working like 31 days, 13 hour days in a row, just taking care of people. And it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my entire life. I remember you saying, um, because so many of the patients died, that you were the lifeline, though, between the relatives Mm -hmm. who couldn't see and could be infected by it Mm -hmm. and with their loved ones. Mm -hmm. And you had a chance to minister. Again, this is not just minister with your gifts physically to these patients, but Mm -hmm. also minister to the family. Tell me just a a story, if you have just even one story. There There was a patient. Uh, that um, we were talking to the family member. This disease process was so labile, up and down. You didn't know which way it was going to go. You could be telling them, we're weaning them off the ventilator. They look like they're doing good. We're starting to take them off the sedation. They're starting to wake up and give them that good news over the phone. And then three hours later, call them and tell them their their family member died mm. because it they threw a clot. Mm. And they couldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. So what we did was, first of all, working with a team, this was a team effort of 70 people, from the chaplains that were at the gate, taking clothing from the family members that were just, I mean, they'd bring teddy bears, anything to Mm -hmm. to just try to connect Mm -hmm. with their family member. And um, what I did with my team in the ICU, uh, we just made a vow at the very first day we were going to be their family. We mm-hmm. are their family. We're advocating for them and we're going to be their family. And so we prayed over them. We told them the gospel. We pulled in the um, interpreters. We, they were, you know, they were sedated, but yeah. we, that, you know, the last thing that usually goes is you're hearing. And I'm, I don't, I believe they can hear us. Mm-hmm. So we told them the gospel. We prayed over them. We t- get the phone and we put it up to their ear and let their loved one talk to them mm. like that. We told the loved ones that we are treating them like they're our family members. This mm-hmm. is my father. This is my mother. Mm. And um, we are treating them like that. And we had the trust of the people. And it was a um, large responsibility. And it was an honor to take care of these people. And a lot of them died. A lot of mm-hmm. them died. And, you know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. What do you do? You can only treat them with dignity and love on them mm-hmm. and be and be there and do use the skills that you were trained to do, obviously. But um, each person got the gospel one way or another coming in there. And the cool thing about it was is that a couple people who came out of being on the ventilator and on the sedation said they heard us. Mm. And there's one um, gentleman, Humberto, he was my patient, and he had said that um, when he thought he was going to die, he called out to that Jesus we were talking about. And then look at me now, I'm alive and I'm off the ventilator. And uh, he gave his life to the Lord. And, wow. Yeah, that whole place of Cremona, Milan, got a really good um, dose of the Holy Spirit. The That's Holy Spirit amazing. was just blanketed there. And even though it was one of the hardest things I ever did, it was one of the most rewarding and loving uh parts of life that I could have ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. So I know after that you went to um, when the earthquake, no, no the, the explosion, the explosion yeah. in Lebanon. Yeah. So that would have been like August more 4th. like what you do yeah. with the trauma. Yeah. What we did. Yeah. What we did there is we went in and we had IPC trainers, which are infection prevention control trainers that went into the hospitals in Beirut to teach them, you know, how to, um, zone their their hospitals and stuff to, to keep uh, the infection down and to stop, slow the spread. And then um, I was part of the pop-up clinics. So we had pop-up clinics. And because of the unrest there, yes. you had to be like three days 
or two days at a, at a spot, and then we would move. Mm-hmm. We didn't go in as a fulfilled hospital because the Russians and there was another country that came in right away. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't needed there. And plus, it was kind of dangerous for us to go in downtown Beirut, being a Christian organization, mm-hmm. and a full 70 uh team member uh, mm-hmm. field hospital at that time because they they already we would we would do it i mean franklin graham has got some um chutzpah yes he does <laughs> and he puts you right into the hot zone he's not afraid yeah and he says that's what we're here for and we're really well received but because of the other two field hospitals that were already on the ground he thought that the resources probably would be better spent if we did pop-up clinics mm-hmm. and so that's what we did we did um we were there for three weeks, and we did pop-up clinics, emergency clinics, and got to see um, a lot of Syrian refugees, a lot of um, Lebanese, um, a lot of uh, people that were blown off their balconies. Mm. And uh, one story was of a woman that came in with her two daughters who lived, but she was outside with her iPhone videotaping the fire, the explosion the fire and everything like everybody else was. And then all of a sudden there was that secondary explosion and her children right in front of her got blown off her balcony. Well, by the grace of God, and she got blown back and knocked out, Mm. but by the grace of God, the children got blown off the balcony straight across the street into the arms of the other people that were on the balcony that had a different angle that didn't get the impact as much and caught the children. Oh. And it was completely across oh. the street. So oh. the children had, one had a broken arm, the other one had cuts and bruises, but they um, came in for secondary treatment because they had already gone to the emergency room mm. uh, before we got there. Mm. Yeah. Just crazy stuff like that. But God is so amazing. You know, and the Syrian refugees, I didn't know too much about Syrian refugees, but um, the Syrian refugees, the ones that I was um, treating, were telling me that they fleed um, fled, Syria, yeah, fled, fled yes. Syria because of their God didn't, they, they were getting killed by their own, you know, president and their God didn't show up. Mm. And they heard about this Jesus in Lebanon. Wow. And so they wanted to go find him and we got to share Jesus with them. And that was really That's divine exciting. appointments. So you came home and that was, I remember you know, on both those occasions, because they were death threatening. Yes. And I remember there's a group of us who were praying for you. Yes, you were. And even fasting. Yes, you were. Um, Thank you. Just, uh, you know, but how wonderful to be a friend of somebody who's being used by God to go out on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, so many times, you know, because we're doing these women worth knowing, mm-hmm. and so many of them lived like 100 years ago, 200 yeah. years ago. In fact, we're going to get to some early church women. Yeah, I'm so women. glad I'm not dead when you're doing yes, this segment. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I think that for so many out there, there's a woman worth knowing mm-hmm. very close to you. Mm-hmm. And you, you might not think you're a woman worth knowing, but that woman, you can support them through prayer yes. and you can encourage mm-hmm. them. And we were, you know, so excited. Yes. And I know Jill was giving us updates. Yeah, shout out to Jill were, Bates. Thank yeah, you yeah. very much. Shout out to Jill because she's a woman worth knowing yes, because she, she, is. she does the communications. Yeah. I mean, there's so many prayer gifts. Warrior. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now let's talk about the next one then was Haiti. No, I didn't go to Haiti. No. The next time I went to the Bahamas, Nassau, Bahamas. Bahamas. Okay, yeah. Nassau, sorry. Yeah, and then there was... What well, um, was the Caribbean? What yeah, I went to the is? Caribbean, um, and the next one after that was... Um, and they, these were COVID, right? Yeah. This is COVID yeah, related. Had, uh, the next one after that, I went to... I had a choice to go to two different ones, I Honduras or Lancaster. I went to Lancaster. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Nassau, Bahamas was um, shut down. 
because mm. they they were they had a handle on it, but all of a sudden they had an uptick in COVID, and that is an island, and all of their resources are tourism, mm. and they had to shut the whole place down. So they had all these beautiful hotels where there's probably about 658 people that work there. Uh, just to, in each hotel that were out mm-hmm. of work. Mm-hmm. And then you have the nurses and the doctors and the techs and um, the ancillary staff over there at the hospital that either had COVID or was exposed. So now they're short. Mm. So now they have all these people coming in and they're short. And so we went over there and we set up a field hospital, helped them out, alleviated their surge, and then taught them infection prevention control, mm-hmm. which was amazing. So, you know, there are a lot of people who think COVID is a hoax, yeah, it's not. <laughs> because they haven't been on the front lines. Right. And because mm-hmm. maybe somebody they know had a light case. Right. So they're thinking, well, I'm in no danger. And you've been on yeah. the front lines. You've seen what it can do. Right. And you've taught people how to prevent it right. and how to be safe and, you know, hygiene. Right. And these different things, which is interesting because both Elizabeth Blackwell and Florence Nightingale and uh, we talked about uh, uh, Dr. Cole, one of the first uh, female yes. black doctors, mm-hmm. how they just stressed hygiene yeah. and disease prevention. Mm-hmm. That that was a big part, and that's a big part of what right. you do, too, when you go to right. these places. Well, with Florence Nightingale, she, she was wondering, well, how come all of these young women are dying mm-hmm. for childbirth? And then she realized that the doctor was going from case to case without washing his hands, so it was infection. So... She said, why don't we just wash our hands? Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty, you know, pretty um, ingenuity right there. But if you notice, we didn't have a flu season. Mm-hmm. Okay, why is that? Our mouths are covered and we're washing our hands. Albeit COVID is highly contagious, okay, but the flu is less contagious and we're cleaning things. There's industries that are cleaning things. The airlines are cleaning things. Mm-hmm. The stores are cleaning things. Things are clean. Now, with COVID, my word for COVID while we were going through it was mitigate. Mm-hmm. Mitigate and live. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am not a person that hides in my house. I mm-hmm. go out and I live. But you have to know how it's transmitted. It's transmitted by droplet and mm-hmm. by contact. And if you know how it's transmitted, then you mitigate you know, how to not catch it. And so, you know, there was a lot of misinformation. There was a lot of hype. There was a lot of rebellion and all those things. That's none of my business. My business was to go help people who actually had the disease and then teach people in the hospital setting how to have infection prevention control and how they can get that level of COVID down so we can go home and they can take their hospital back over and then teach my friends how what I learned. Mm-hmm. And that's that's was my role in all of this. And I just want to go back really quick to the prayer part. Mm-hmm. You and Jill and Cher and all my prayer partners will one day in heaven, somebody that's Italian is going to come up and say, because of you, I gave my life to the Lord because of you, because prayer is so essential in all of these things. We can't do any of this without prayer. This is so much spiritual warfare going on, and there's so many things that all of us in Italy and New York, we had a New York-filled hospital at the same time as Italy, none of us got sick, mm-hmm. okay? And we're in the in, we're knee deep in it. We're mm-hmm. right in the face of it, and we didn't get sick, mm-hmm. and prayer does everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people do panic prayers and they pray after the fact. But if you pray before we go, mm-hmm. and if you pray during and you pray, you know, um, on your knees uh, with whatever the Lord puts on your heart, 
you are helping to change the heart structure. The Lord said, there's your mission field. Mm -hmm. And we were doing Jonah when I was in Lancaster. We were doing Jonah study. And the the Lord prepared Nineveh the same way he's preparing us. Mm -hmm. Civil unrest, the weather, pestilence, disease, Mm -hmm. these kind of things. This is a rich harvest field. We should be sharing the gospel with everybody. Mm-hmm. So, just so to tell now you that's prayer. interesting because you brought up Lancaster, and Lancaster is in California, right? And that they would have this emergency mm-hmm. because we tend to think of it, yeah, that's in Italy, yeah. that's in China, that's in the right. Caribbean, but that's not close to me. Mm-hmm. But Lancaster is yeah. what? How many miles? It's like maybe a hundred miles from here. Yeah, it's, about, miles? it's about an hour and a half, an hour mm-hmm. and forty minutes. Mm-hmm. From Huntington Beach, right? Yeah, Antelope Valley Medical Center. So mm-hmm. now, what happened there? What was the call? They had surge capacity. So the same thing happened when we were in Italy. The same thing happened um, in New York for Mount mm-hmm. Sion. So they set up a field hospital in Central Park, and then the same time Lancaster was going on, they had North Carolina a field hospital in North Carolina. And you're right; we usually don't do these. Um, domestically. We have North American ministries that do domestic, which is Mm -hmm. Samaritan's Purse, the orange shirts that go out there for the floods and things like that. But the field hospitals is the international. But they called. And Mm -hmm. Franklin Graham, if he can help, he's going to take us all out there. So we set up a 60-bed field hospital in their parking lot because they were um, over capacity. They they were a surge capacity. So they're a huge hospital like Cremona. And they had to shut everything down, all their their surgeries, all their um, you know normal things that they do there, because it was overrun by COVID. And mm-hmm. um, and this is what people don't understand. We had a thirty year old with no comorbidities have to be intubated, and a ninety five year old walk out of there. Mm-hmm. It is a disease process that's inflammatory, and you don't know how it's going to ha- work inside your body. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there is a, a, you know, 99% or 94% of people will recover from it. But, you know, what about those people that don't? Is that your 18-year-old? I have a friend, it's a mutual friend of ours who has an 18-year-old who has childhood asthma. She got COVID pneumonia, Mm -hmm. okay? And, you know, because the hospitals were overwrought, she she had to be treated at home. So Mm -hmm. we all pulled together to treat her at home, Mm -hmm. you know? But what happens if this person didn't have those resources. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I was with a friend who lives in the Hamptons, and mm-hmm. uh, in their church alone, they lost five people. Mm-hmm. And they lost part of their worship team mm-hmm. to COVID. Yeah. And she had one dear friend who was 72 years old, um, in perfect health, yeah. just get COVID and die. And she said, it's so strange because she wants to call her up, and she realizes... Oh, my goodness, she's not there. Kelly, what word of encouragement would you give to somebody who's out there who um, maybe doesn't know what they're called to or uh, thinks I could never do what Kelly did? What Mm -hmm. would you say to them? Well, it wasn't me that Mm -hmm. did it. It was the Lord. And I can't take any credit. All glory and honor goes to the Lord. I just surrendered to him. Mm -hmm. And he took how he shaped me. And he took my willingness, and then he put me on a trajectory. And so surrender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Um, the Lord talks to you through his word. Uh, pray and ask God. I mean, God's there. Ask him, how did you shape me? Um, what would you like me to do? Uh, what? Where, do you, where can you use me? But when people start going, I'm going to go do this because this is what I want to do, and God hasn't sent you... Um, it's a scary place out there. Mm-hmm. And so I would wait until he sends you because you got the full covering 
of his whole army behind you. But I think that you have to ask yourself, whatever's impossible for humans, do you believe it's not impossible for God? Yeah. And if your answer is, yes, it's not impossible for God, then you can be however God shaped you to be and just ask him to shape you. Mm-hmm. And pray. And, you know, also don't listen to the devil. Mm-hmm. You know, the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. Mm-hmm. And he almost did. Mm-hmm. And I helped him along. Yeah. Okay. I helped him with that because I listened to him. Right. He's a liar. Right. He's a liar. And so you have to listen to the truth. And the truth is God's word. Kelly, thank you mm-hmm. so much for being on this thank edition of Women Worth Knowing. And again, You are a woman. If you know Jesus, you're a woman worth knowing. Um, And let him use you in what capacity he wants to. Thanks again for joining us on this edition. Uh, See you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.